0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about go trains and go trains in Hamilton. We've been waiting for these forever. The all day go transit to Toronto. Well, it sounds like they're starting to do some work to make that happen someday, eventually, maybe. Uh, Councillor Marula joins us. To talk about how come it is that every single transportation project or debate in this city seems to drag on forever. We'll talk about that. Also, conspiracy theories. Jeffrey Epstein died this week, and that has led to a million different conspiracy theories. The Clintons killed them. Trump killed them. Someone else killed them. Where do these conspiracy theories get their origins? How do they keep going And in- Well, just conspiracy theories in general. We're going to talk to a Mac professor who deals with these things. And Don Robertson comes in. We're talking Blue Jays. We're talking tennis. Lots and lots of stuff. Stick around. All coming up.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: Today in The Spectator, reporter Matthew Van Donjen reported that work is finally being done to add a new rail track That should allow more go train service from Hamilton to Toronto and back and forth and back and forth. That's good news because it seems forever we've been waiting for all day go service from the city. A lot of people moving to Hamilton from Toronto on the assumption that there is going to be all day go service. A lot of people staying in Hamilton rather than moving to Toronto because they believe they've been told there's going to be all day go service, which would be highly convenient for people who have to get there. The difficulty with this story that we're hearing is we have heard of things like this, not construction starting on a new rail line, but we've heard stories forever of steps being taken that is finally going to make this service come to be, never seems to happen, never seems to end up leading to that elusive all-day service. So is this finally going to be the thing that does it? Let me bring in Four councillor Sam Marula. Sam, how are you today? I'm doing well, Scotty, and yourself? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, before we get into that, how is it that we already don't have this service? It just seems like it's been going on forever, this discussion.
2: Again, this is a um, uh, responsibility of the provincial government. Mm-hmm. It falls within the jurisdiction of uh, Metrolink, which is a division of the province. And we as a council have been uh, screaming uh, for all day gold service uh, for a number of years the the issue has fallen on deaf ears from the province and uh from their perspective they've encountered some obstacles particularly um and CP who own uh, the right-of-ways of most of the the, lanes, or the rail lines themselves and negotiating um access to those lines and i think in this particular case there has been some construction and trying to expand the network to accommodate more trains, which is good news. And obviously it can't happen quick enough. And from their perspective, not to make excuses for them, uh, but it is uh, an economies of scale uh, scenario. Uh, But from our perspective, we believe if you build it, they will come. Obviously we have tens of thousands of people driving into Toronto, or the GTA on, on a daily basis uh, that would uh, take advantage of the uh, of the all day goal service from a, from a train perspective. Keep in mind that we do have all day goal service from a bus perspective, uh, but again, it's a little bit unpredictable when it comes to making deadlines as a result of the traffic congestion and so on. But we do have all day goal service. It's just not it's not train service. I believe at this point we have four going out in the morning and four coming back uh in the um in the evening. I can recall when I worked at Queen's Park Queen's Park back in the day, uh there were only three. So we really haven't um or the province hasn't uh, expanded the network uh significantly even since nineteen ninety five. So that does speak volumes and the time is now and I think we recognize it and they recognize it. It's just a matter of building a system to accommodate it. But give them credit, they did build uh the new um um James Street North uh Location, which obviously speaks volumes, as well as the Centennial location, which is under construction. So the capital investment uh, has been made, and now the secondary component is to make more of a capital investment to tie into their operating uh, increase of service.
0: The and you're right. I mean, about those capital investments and the stations that have been built. Although, as Matthew points out in his piece, uh, the the new West Harbour one, the one on James Street North, I mean, is is used so little that it's uh, half of it is closed most of the time. Seems like an odd strategy to build something and then not have something else ready to go with it. Like it it, it to get to the point, And you're absolutely right, Sam. This is not a city problem. You guys have been fighting for this. This is a provincial thing. But you guys have been screaming for this, and previous councils have been screaming for this, and I'm just wondering how this continues to fall on deaf ears.
2: Again, only they can answer that question, but I I must say, though, that, again, they've been encountering some difficulties negotiating uh, access to to, to the lines themselves with a number of the owners of the lines, firstly. Secondly, um, they they have taken some steps to try to, um, to, to, to increase that capacity, which they've done, but the good news is that they've actually built the station, so those stations aren't going anywhere. If anything, the next phase, and it is a phased approach, uh, they they made the capital investment in both the Centennial Parkway location as well as the James Street or the Harborfront location. Uh, and ultimately, once the they increase the service, which I suspect they will in the very near future, as they've announced, uh, we're going to see significant uh, investment in this community, more than what we're already seeing. The downside is the gentrification will be compounded. Property values will increase significantly when all-day gold uh, does arrive to Hamilton. Uh, So there will be uh, some people that fall through the cracks even more than they are today. So uh, if you're going to buy property, this is the time to do it before they have the all-day gold service, (laughs) to be honest.
0: Sam, here's the whatever number you want to put fifty mil, let's put a 50 million dollar question i don't know whatever number you want to apply, apply to it it seems that whenever we talk about transit in this city whether it's a federal thing a provincial thing a municipal thing whether it's lrt whether it's red hill creek expressway whether it's hsr whether it's go it's always a struggle why is why is transit such a headache in the city of hamilton
2: well i think that there are a number of uh variables at play. One being that in Hamilton, unlike other major cities like Toronto or Montreal, Vancouver, as examples, uh, and having been born and raised in Hamilton, it was never cool to use public transit in Hamilton. Frankly, I I can recall being embarrassed by it uh, in my early adolescence. So there's a cultural aspect um, that exists in the old uh, perception of of, of those that were born and raised here or, or came here early on, and now with the influx of new Hamiltonians, uh, we are hearing and, and seeing more people wanting to access public transit, but it's not meeting uh, the demand or, or their expectations when they compare it to systems such as in Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver. So we're really stuck between where we were and where we are presently. And as a result of that, that that's where the struggle has uh, occurred, not only from a political perspective, but also from a from a ridership perspective because when you look at our ridership our ridership um, I think had a little bit of an increase uh, last year but there was a, a trending downward uh, of, of ridership which speaks volumes to with respect to people not being in wanting to invest or wanting the expansion of the network itself so the demands are there from the new Hamiltonians but clearly, those of us that have been around in the past that, that uh, don't look at the big picture of the importance of public transit, uh, see it uh, as, a, as a non-priority. And I think that's where I, we've struggled over the years.
0: Well, and there, and look, there has been a fight no matter what le- what form of transit. I mean, when the Red Hill Creek Expressway argument was going on, there were people in the city that thought it was really important and a lot of people were fighting against it. I mean, HSR redoing, the, the LRT is a perfect example. I don't know if it's the geography of the city. I don't know if it's how spread no, out the city is. No
2: matter where you go, that's it. Listen, we're, we're not an anomaly. So uh, in many ways, no matter where what city you go to, you can pick any major newspaper from any major city in North America, even the world for that matter, and you're going to find that every single issue, there's, there's going to be two sides to every issue, and there's going to be opposition, and you're going to have the media playing a role and in, in, in putting fuel on that fire in order to sell more newspapers or have more listeners on your radio programs. At the end of the day, it's, it's part of democracy. And uh, my wife's from, from Nice, France, and we just came back visiting my in-laws. Same kind of thing in Nice, um, and following the local politics. It's identical, just, just a different language in a different place. And people are people no matter where you're from. It's not just an anomaly to Hamilton, it's everywhere. It's in Toronto, it's in Mississauga, and I challenge anyone, just go on Google, pick out any newspaper from any city in Ontario or Canada for that matter, and you'll see that the same themes, the same kind of conflicts exist everywhere.
0: And that's politics. We know that that's politics. And
2: that's what democracy is all about.
0: It it just seems that in this city, it's transit or getting around that seems to be our bug. Other places have other things, for sure. Every city is going to have things that they're going well, to fight if about. If
2: you look at Toronto and the Gardner Expressway, yes,
0: and yes. You, you look
2: at the expansion of the 401, I remember when, when, when my father was alive, he told me the story of when they were thinking about building the 401 and debating that issue, and then finally starting the construction of it, and how... People were outraged of the waste of money and how nobody was going to use that road. It's now the, the, the busiest highway in North America. So, uh, again, you're going to, no matter what the issue is, no matter what city it is, no matter, oh, democracy is about opposing forces coming together to find common ground. So, uh, you're going to find resistance, and you're going to find those that are champions on an every issue. And, uh, and Hamilton's no different than anywhere else.
0: Let me put you on the spot for one more thing. Uh, We read in the story today and we were reminded that it is Metrolinx that's behind this and would be working on this third track to get the ghost train going. Metrolinx is also involved with the LRT. There are those who hear the name Metrolinx and already their teeth grind a little bit. Do do you have full faith in Metrolinx to get this thing going?
2: Uh, Of course. uh, Again, it's an extension of the province. Uh, Metrolinx uh, is, is a huge entity of the province and um, with with huge operating uh, responsibilities and finances, and of course, when you're trying when you're trying to build a thirteen kilometer uh, rail line uh, in the oldest part of the city, that's like putting a circle into a, into a square. That's not easy. And when you're then fighting with um, the class warfare that it creates between the suburban and the urban um, and the ideologues on both ends of those spectrums it's not easy either but government's not supposed to be easy it's if it were easy then everyone would do it and everyone would be involved and everyone would be happy but that would be utopia and that doesn't exist so uh, at the end of the day uh, everything's moving in in the, in the direction and ultimately it lands exactly where it's supposed to land because democracy might not be perfect uh, but it's the best scenario and it's been proven to be the best governance in the world.
0: We we have to run now. Uh, by the way, if you can make all those people listen to the radio show and buy the newspaper, as you say, for this topic, we're all for it. Bring bring them all in. There's lots of room here to listen. Uh, Sam Marula, Ward 4 Counselor, appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
1: Likewise, Scotty. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: You heard that over the weekend, Jeffrey Epstein died. Now, the official version is that he committed suicide in a federal jail while in a cell. But there are an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people who are not accepting that official version. Now, as a little background, you may have read about him. He was a multimillionaire with an alleged, what do we say, taste for the sexual favors of young girls. He had a private retreat. He had a plane, a private jet that apparently stuff happened on. He had a private island that was nicknamed Pedo Island. Based on the stories we've heard, not a good guy. And that all is very gross, but it's not really why he was in the news this weekend. The reason he was, in addition to being in jail, is because he was a very well-connected guy. Over the years, there were numerous stories of, and rumors of other very powerful men joining him in some of his unsavory activities. And recently, when he was arrested for child sex trafficking, some of the rumors came back to life. Now, a couple of weeks ago, he apparently attempted suicide. He was revived. On Friday, here's where things get interesting. On Friday, a dossier or some file is opened, is released, and the names of some very powerful men leaked out from those records Prince Andrew, uh, Democratic Senator Bill Richards, and others. Day later, suddenly, Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Now, stories we've heard, and this is where it really gets weird, say he was taken off suicide watches, cellmate was moved within the previous 48 hours, video cameras around his cell suddenly weren't working, the staff were overworked and didn't check on him, on and on and on and on. It's led to endless theories that suggest he didn't commit suicide, but he was silenced. The conspiracy is alive and well. Mark Busser is a McMaster political science professor, who teaches a course in conspiracy theories, fake news, and critical investigations. He joins us now. Mark, how are you today? Not bad. Thanks for having me. I'm always glad to have you on. Love having you on here. Now, I want to make clear, I am not a conspiracy theorist. I believe in one conspiracy theory, and that's it, and that is that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. He was involved but didn't act alone, but all the other stuff, 9-11 and all the rest, aliens, everything else, I'm not. But i got to tell you, this one is weird enough that I can't, fully dismiss absolutely every single part of this and say, I'm confident that nothing is happening here. Am I crazy?
3: I don't think you're crazy. Um, I think with this case in particular, a lot of people who have been paying attention to the case, including a lot of us uh, folks who study conspiracy theories and are a little bit skeptical about a lot of the trends we see, a lot of people have some tough questions. And I think that's because so much of the available confirmed evidence is so unsettling.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm, and again, I'm defending myself here, but I'm not convinced that you have to be wearing a tinfoil hat to ask some hard questions and not be convinced with the official statement on this case.
3: Right, and I think that's because, I mean, the, the facts of the case are surprising, right? We have a situation where a very high-profile um, uh, prisoner uh, who's known to have commi- you know, attempted self-harm last week under really you know, questionable circumstances where we already don't know the full story there, Uh, to to then commit suicide over over this past weekend. Immediately, people were ready with the conspiracy theories, partially because they had a, a bit of a dry run last week, when Twitter and other social media networks were speculating uh, a lot, and so um, because we don't, there's so much we don't know, and especially in such a high-profile case with so many connections to so many other prominent people and issues, I think a lot of people have some serious questions, and I think some serious questions ought to be asked, um, b- both about his death and about some of the many other related issues that just are all bundled up in this case.
0: And, I, and you're absolutely right that when they had that, you call it a dry run. That's a good term for it when he attempted apparently suicide a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, even before then though, the day that he was arrested, I was on Twitter and there were people already saying, oh, you know what? He, uh, he won't live through this. He's going to die in prison. And you're like, oh, okay. And then when it happens, you go, hmm. So the the pieces here fit for the perfect kind of conspiracy theory that we're talking about, because I don't think for the first time in a long time, again, nine 11, I think you got to Put a real stretch together. Other ones you really have to stretch it. Does it become a conspiracy theory if there are parts of this that are plausible?
3: Well, I think we. I mean, those of us who study conspiracy theories have a lot of, a hard time with the uh, the term because it does get used um, to dismiss uh, critics, mm. dismiss people asking questions and so there's a lot of work done on the ways in which conspiracy thinking can, can really go wrong and people can sort of have unhealthy, you know, breakdowns in their critical thinking. But it's true that the term has been used over the decades to dismiss people.
0: And so So you're a quack think, if you believe any of it.
3: Well, I mean that was certainly was the when a, the when the term first got used, it was uh, oftentimes by the government to dismiss claims that really were turning out to be true about, you know, uh secret um, secret offenses in other countries or abuses of human rights. Um, and so, what's more important than the label, I think, is asking whether we have good, solid evidence in any case with any issue we're dealing with. Um, and in this case, I think we have a lot of good questions, but we still don't have enough to base any um, uh, enough evidence to make any claims about what did or didn't happen yet. We're going to have to sort of hope that we get some better evidence.
0: Mark, are you? As a guy who studies it, are you a believer in any con- of the well-known conspiracy theories? Is there a conspiracy th- conspiracy theory out there that you go, yeah, you know what, I kind of do believe that?
3: Well, I mean, you mentioned the, the uh, Kennedy assassination, and that one's been studied so well. I mean, I don't have anything interesting to say about it that other people haven't said, but I'm, I'm more uh, convinced the more I read into it that, uh, for example, um, that the... Cold War had a lot to do with it and that uh, relationships between Kennedy and his people trying to plan assassinations for uh, Fidel Castro and then Castro uh, trying to uh, plan assassinations back there's some evidence uh, kind of serious minded evidence that suggests that there's a little bit more uh, there uh, than we um, know officially and I'm hoping that someday the files will will, will come out that said I don't have any um, really big beliefs in any one world conspiracies or any of these big huge um, kind of organizations with secret stone cutters below the, the ground you know planning our demise. <laughs>
2: um,
3: I tend to think that power works in ways that we we know about, and so I think this case actually sheds light on some of the ways in which real power already uh, gives us enough questions to ask if we look at how powerful people and people in charge and you know uh, making decisions really
0: make some poor choices,
3: uh, we already have plenty on our hands as, you know, as people who study the world uh, without making up uh, mythologies.
0: Your name is Mark Busser, not Fox Mulder, in other words, is what you're saying.
3: (laughs) That's right. I started off as a Mulder, but I've definitely become more of a Scully.
0: Let's take a quick break and come back.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, Mark, how do these, I mean, it's pretty obvious in this case, but generally, how do these conspiracy theories get started?
1: Well, a lot of the times they start off with
3: people having some, I think, real concerns. Usually, um, you know, when major events happen that are shocking or upsetting, people have a lot of questions. And usually in the heat of the moment, there's a lot more questions than answers. And so oftentimes you see people speculating, guessing, trying to gather whatever, whatever tidbits they can and, and piecing together big stories. Um, But what we're seeing more often lately is that people now take new events and fold them into their existing stories. And so since the X-Files was on TV and since other shows have tapped into conspiracy culture, we see these sort of big mythologies that any new piece of information can now be sort of added into. And so there's a sort of ready-made explanation for big
0: events. And one of the huge challenges now is with social media, with the Internet, it's very difficult to find out which parts of the conspiracy theory is out there is based on something true and which is something that is either added to the mix and becomes a, um, established or accepted as a fact that has nothing to do. So you can throw something in, gets repeated enough, people start to believe it, but it doesn't actually, it's not real, but it's become part of the story that people believe is real.
3: Right. It can be h- oftentimes uh, difficult to separate the memes and the kind of pictures and images and everything online from the real facts, which is why it's so interesting to teach. So I started coming to this topic because I teach how to research, how to ask good questions, how to trust your sources. And what I found is that students were really good at finding academic articles like they should. But when it came to the Internet, people didn't know how to tell trustworthy from not trustworthy. And so I find conspiracy theories are really helpful for, for helping students sort of really fine tune those skills.
0: But here's where this now gets so complicated because there's always going to be a political viewpoint or some position you're trying to push with a conspiracy theory. And Mark, as soon as you as an academic say, look, that piece right there, there is nothing to back up that that piece is real. That somehow can't be justified. It can't be verified. It was thrown in. You are now part of the conspiracy because you're trying to bury that important piece of information.
3: Of course, yeah. And that's one of the big puzzles about conspiracy theories and studying them, is that if you're an academic like me, a journalist, if you're, uh, you know, even any random person with a point on the Internet, as soon as you have a critique that sort of undermines a conspiracy, you yourself can be built into the conspiracy. (laughs) You're now part of it. Right. Maybe I'm taking secret funding from, you know, government sources. And I, hey, I wish that was true. Um, But um, it's one of the things we notice about conspiracy theories is that they become self-feeling because they deal with how information is corrupted and manipulated. And so anytime there's something that seems to disprove them, you have the ability to say as a conspiracy theorist, well, hey, maybe you're on the take, maybe you're lying. Yeah. This evidence is really part of the bigger uh, mirage, and this is it makes it very ho- difficult to have the conversation.
0: So l- let's play a little game here for a second. Let's say with the Jeffrey Epstein story that they do an investigation, they say they're going to uh, the sort of the officials dig into this, and let us say they find some evidence that someone did do something wrong here, and either allowed him by looking the other way intentionally to kill himself, or that there was someone who did something to him. What are the chances that everybody then is going to say, okay, glad that they sorted that one out. Let's move on to the next thing. We're glad you solved that. And what are the chances that half of the people are going to say that is just part of the further cover-up to make sure this never gets out?
3: Right. Well, I'd say for the fact that, uh, or the possibility that everyone will be satisfied, I'd say is zero. Uh, there's always somebody with another story or another sort of version of events. But half is 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 uh, doable. And the, partially that's because I think the available facts of this case, um, kind of the unsealed testimony we're hearing from from some of the witnesses or from the victims, uh, the fact that many uh, people still will probably be charged and that were involved in the case who are still alive and can still give uh, testimony and give their defense. I think we will find out more information. I think there are going to be some really tough questions asked both about Epstein's crimes and about the circumstances at the uh, at the the jail where he was. found dead and i think we're going to find a lot of stuff that's um less surprising and more familiar about underfunding of prisons you know kind of overworked civil service um, employees and about powerful people thinking the rules don't apply to them and finding ways to escape justice when they're finally caught as we saw in, with the plea deal back in 2008 where epstein was famously sort of uh investigated, of 50 or so witnesses, 50 or so uh, victims came forward, and yet he had this plea deal that protected him from uh, federal prosecution, which a lot of people have rightly asked big questions about.
0: The biggest problem to me with the whole conspiracy theory idea is, you're absolutely right, I agree, I think, that whoever's on the side that this doesn't favor within the conspiracy is going to say that the conspiracy still exists we seem to have lost the ability or abandoned the concept that there is truth. Truth is now whatever we want the truth to be, and half the people are never going to believe the truth. And how do you how do you run a society? How do you convince anybody of anything when truth becomes malleable and it becomes only what you want it to be?
3: Right, and this is a big question uh, in our age. It's, it's not just in... Um, the study of conspiracy theories, but in questions about you know my home field of political science, where I look at international relations, we have so many different cultures around the world asking what's true and what's real and what are our facts, what are our values. These are big questions. But I think the best we can do is find ways to have conversations, to investigate evidence together, and figure out even though we disagree about a whole bunch of things, where do we share our, our you know our methods of doing science, of doing journalism? And I think the better we get at learning how to consume journalism, how to consume the news, how to follow the law, how to understand how power works, the better we can sort of agree about the principles we use to tell nonsense from good sense.
0: I'd love to keep talking about this for an hour because I think everyone would listen to it as well because it's a fascinating story and I would guarantee that whenever this thing gets resolved, half the people in the country are still going to believe that something is being covered up. Uh, Mark Busser, McMaster political science professor, always appreciate having you on, love having you. Thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML.
0: Don, thanks for coming in today. Scott, glad to be here. It's been a while. What have you been doing? Cutting the grass. I saw some pictures. You were cutting the
4: grass, and yeah, property. Your place looks lovely. Thank you. Just waiting to come back in here. Yeah. Oh, well, we've just spent just a week time. At, spent a week in Muskoka, and uh, need some more time off because the uh, real estate business has been. Uh, we've been busier than we have been in the last three years and uh the market's good the market's normal and that takes time and when i do get a few minutes for our hobby we are recruiting some hockey players because we're going to host co-host the allen cup this year with the hamilton steelhawks as you know so we have to get bigger and better and we're doing that uh every week we seem to get a little bigger and
0: better I got to tell you this because my sister right now is, well, they're on their way home, I think, but they were in PEI for the last week. Their family was out there enjoying what PEI has. Have you ever been out to PEI? I've never been out there. Yeah, I have. Very, co- very cool. And while they're out there, I'm texting back and forth, and she says, I think we're going to have to buy a house out here. Yeah. And it's not so much that it's just beautiful because apparently it is. As I say I've never been there. The prices out there. We live in the wrong part of the world. The price is out there. So I went on Realtor.ca last night and I was poking around. You can get a house, an old farmhouse. I found one, an old farmhouse, twenty acres, overlooking the ocean,
4: for one hundred nineteen thousand dollars. I was going to say a hundred grand. And the other thing about PEI uh, that I noticed, and and Newfoundland when we played there, um, you know, everybody talks. You know, you got to go way to an island because everything's slow moving and. Everybody's relaxed. Well, on the east coast, on in PEI, nobody's in a hurry to do anything. First of all, it's an island, so you're not rushing, likely going ev- anywhere every day. And it's true, they've got acres, and you can drive by miles and miles of potatoes. And but it's low key, and it's all supply and demand. So apparently, the island isn't going to fill up anytime soon. Well, uh, you know what? It it, uh, it it seriously made me think.
0: It seriously made me think about a retirement place out there. I mean, I'm not going to go live there now. It's hard to do a radio show in Hamilton from the shores of PEI.
4: Uh, they have a lot of technology now. And the interesting thing, I, I think that the, the, the thing that surprised me a little bit that hasn't driven real estate prices in places like PEI is the fact that uh, West Chet, near Canada, you can get around pretty easily now. And it's not going to cost you an arm and leg if you book ahead of time. And, you know, everything seems to be a little bit closer now. So it's not impossible to spend not impossible. three weeks out there. The problem is it's not like it's a handy place to have a cottage. So you got to buddy up with the local handyman because yep. you're not going to be checking the pipes in the wintertime. If I ever did move out there or get a summer place out there or a cottage
0: out there or something like that, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a bunch of Hawaiian print shirts and get myself a red Ferrari, call myself Magnum PEI.
4: <laughs> well, you'll, otherwise you look just like them Yeah, that's right. So the other thing I did, you asked me what I've been doing, so thank you. I'm going to ask you what you were doing other than going to the Little League World Series, which seems to have been a resounding success if you're not basing it on who won. Um, I'm glad to see BC win and not the guys that are sound like they're a little suspect from... Quebec. But uh went to uh, the Hamilton Cardinals opening playoff. Game. Oh yeah. And very been to a game before? Never. Never seen a hardball game in my life other than the Blue Jays. Didn't play hardball as a kid, grew up in Linden. Uh there's no mounds out there. Everything was fastball. Yep. And uh never had any interest in it because we didn't play it, right? You don't you don't you're not exposed to it. And I said to Suze, I said, you know, I'm gonna go to she kind of looked at me. She said, All right. So I hop in the uh, truck and wheel over and I was absolutely delighted the ball was very impressive uh, the skill level was outstanding I mean I was suspecting I was going to see things very comparable to senior A hockey you know where you have the premier athletes uh, in their 20s and early 30s performing and uh, the thing I and, and the park was stellar the lights I mean it was it was a really good experience. You know, uh, people were drinking beer in the stands, so I didn't want them to feel alone. I grabbed the beer, and it was a, a beautiful night. And, and they swept, they swept their first series over Guelph. So if anyone didn't get to go, they can. Uh, I'm going to go back. I, I I had the chance to while I was there. I sat with PJ Mercani, and, and His Worship was there. I threw it the first pitch, and and uh, Mr. McCanny was there, and and the whole it was a good crowd. But and I'm not a Twitter guy. I, but I did encourage people to go because I think they're really missing the boat. I don't know why more people don't go and support. I can't for the life of me figure out why there wouldn't be 2,000 people. Well, at I'll tell you two
0: reasons. There's, I think there's two reasons. One of them is uh, this year they're good, and for the better part of 50 years they've been awful or close to awful or mediocre at best. It's tough to build a crowd. Now, they're starting But they've been bad for a long time. The fact that they are finally getting turned around will mean, I think that in time it's going to click with some people. The other one is it's not always the easiest park in the world to find. If you're not familiar with that part of the the city. I said, I'd never been there before. I think I could have found Waldo easier. You're right. So there's a couple of reasons, but I think in time, if they continue to win, I think you'll start to see some, some traction being gained there. But again, Don, I mean, if you've, if you're if you're a team that has not won forever, you make yourself irrelevant over time. And there, it takes some time to
4: work back into that level of relevance. I guess you have to build your credibility, Scott. And traditionally, I would uh, think that you're right. The only thing that that I question now is the fact that we live in such an instantaneous world. People want their information now on social media. Um, I read The Spectator I still pick it up in the mailbox every morning, but I'm 80% done uh, reading the paper by the time I open it in the morning. I still like doing it because there's things that you know that I want to enjoy. But in an instantaneous world like that, the Cardinals are good today, and the park looks wonderful. Give them a second well, chance. Look,
0: I, I, think there's, I think it's a, a good reason to go, and especially, they, as I say, they, they swept their first series over Guelph. I don't know who they play. I don't know if they know who they
4: play in the they next will, round yet. I think they will play Kitchener or... Oh crap! Who's Kitchener playing? Kitchener or, or uh, Barry? Maybe? No, ba- Barry ended up in first, and then Hamilton ended up in third, which means they'll play the winner of the Kitchener-Toronto series, I believe. But it's look, it, as I say, it, I, I think it's worth taking a
0: look at. But I do understand why it has been a challenge, and I w- I hope that yeah. in time, I hope that in time they can they can get that traction and they can get people back paying attention. But they do have, look, they have 50 years of obstacles to overcome, and I don't think that's going to happen in one year. But b- I really do think they've gone a long way to try to, to overcome some of those obstacles
4: this well, year. And that's I, a good thing. If if, if if what I think matters, and it generally doesn't in a lot of places, um, I would give it a look. I mean, I think you'd be very happy with the, uh, the caliber of entertainment and the park, and I think it's worth a look. I quite enjoy it. I agree. I agree you also talked about
0: you mentioned something and I thought I was on with Bill Kelly earlier today and I wanted to ask you about this because I, I it's amazing you weren't playing you didn't know about this segue you didn't know we were going to talk about this, but I think it's a perfect one you said you know people who play something or people who watch something want to play it or vice versa. if you, if you play something you want to watch it. We got a new uh, not new. we got a tennis player that just won the Rogers Cup, Bianca Andrescu. I absolutely believe that her winning is going to, or has the potential again, it's one step. She's got to do this for a little while still. She's got to show consistency near the top, but she has the potential to make tennis something that an awful lot of Canadians will want to go and play. Because if she keeps winning, they will watch. And if they watch, they'll want to play. And if
4: we get enough, keep enough kids playing, we'll get more people like her coming up through the system. You you bring up a wonderful point. Uh, the golf industry exploded when tagger came on the scene. And when the and Rap- that wasn't a fluke. That wasn't a coincidence. No. Directly tied into him. There were non-golfers wanting to look to see what all the excitement was about. They had eyeballs. So they had more kids playing golf. It, it, it helped up here when Mike Weir won the Masters. When you, when you start looking, it's no, it, to me, it's no fluke at all that we have so many young athletes now being drafted and playing in the NBA. And the Raptors are 25 years old. And Vince Carter was that guy that yep. kids loved in the slam dunk contest and tried basketball. So I, your your uh, your uh, your ta- your take on that has absolutely tremendous validity. Um, I think I don't know how soccer will do it, but soccer is such a uh, growing sport. I mean, it's probably the biggest minor sport in Canada today, and we've never done anything. Of significance that I can remember in soccer, but I agree. This young lady and I heard all kinds of people talking about. Her. Yeah, it's the Canadian way. Yeah, she won, but Serena pulled out. Yeah, but she, so what did she really win? Well, she didn't. Her first match wasn't the finals. No, she she won. Holy crap! She had to win all kinds of she won. rounds.
0: I agree. I do think that it was. It left you with a slightly unsatisfied feeling because she didn't get to play and didn't get to win on the court. It doesn't take away from her championship. It just would have been way more exciting to see her win the title. I, I, you know what I mean? And you know what I mean by
4: win the title, like not take it because Serena had to retire. I know, but the people that find fault by saying, yeah, but well don't, there's no yeah, but. No, mean, I don't think it's. They had help. to hand a trophy to somebody and it was her. Yeah. She didn't trip Serena. No, it would have been better. It would have
0: been more satisfying is all I'm saying. It would have been more satisfying if she had beat her in tennis as opposed to this way, but it doesn't reduce or diminish the quality or satisfaction of the yeah. of the win. But here's the thing, if she if Andreescu from this point goes into a giant tailspin as we've seen some other athletes yeah. do, Bouchard. I don't think it makes, I don't think this changes anything. But if she can maintain some kind of level where she's in the mix at a lot of tournament after tournament after tournament for a few years.
4: It's her second win this year too. Yeah,
0: no, no, absolutely. And she's showing no evidence of being someone who's going to be a one-trick pony. Like she's looking like yep. someone who can stick around. If she does that, especially girls, you're going to see, I think, a lot of girls say, I want to go try tennis. Yeah. And that would be a terrific thing. That would be, that's how, I, I remember years ago when the Thai Cats won their last Grey Cup, I did a piece. It's a long time ago now youth football spiked when the tie cats won youth baseball I've talked to them when the Jays were really good more people sign up for baseball it's all connected you
4: need to have that person that you connect to I uh, I agree with you 100% anything anything in the world from a sporting standpoint that will get young kids that you're using sighting girls to get their heads out of those phones and tip them up straight and go outside and do something is an absolute win for me. And what's amazing is tennis, there will be
0: people who will disagree. I don't doubt that. There will be people who are diehard tennis fans who say, tennis has always been great. Tennis, for most of the population, fell off the radar around the 80s when Borg and McEnroe and Connors and all those guys left the scene. When Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova left the scene, Tennis sort of fell off, and golf took, their, got, pl- took its place, and baseball and some other things. I used to go as a kid, and I used to play tennis hours and hours and hours every day. We had courts near my house. Ne- For the last 20 years, you could go anytime you wanted and find an empty tennis court, pretty much, pretty much. And the tennis courts probably were actually run down because why are we fixing them up if no one's using them? I expect that you're going to see. if This is the other trick. If you're going to go try and find one, you may have to work to get a court now. And that's a good thing.
4: That's a good gotcha. sign. It, it, and if you do, build some more. They don't take that much space. Well, they don't take a lot of space. I mean, they're not, I'm sure they're not an inexpensive item to build one properly. But you're right. Go, go out and enjoy it. I mean, there was a time when tennis was looked a little bit as the upper crest sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to have money, you had to wear white, and you had to wear white running shoes, and y- you know, you had to be dressed a You still a do if you're way. playing Wimbledon. You don't have to be white, but you have to wear <clears> the white stuff. Yeah. So it was always a bit of an upper crest thing. It wasn't, generally speaking, a schoolyard thing, but I grew up in the village of Linden, and there was two tennis courts uh, beside the school, and it was always busy. And you know, Linden's a small rural community they built new ones back uh, at the Legion Park and uh, you're right I when I drive by them you don't see anybody on them and hopefully things like this crank it up a notch or two we it, it seems and you can you can track the
0: history well the 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 pattern in this country that for whatever reason it seems in Canada we need to have someone who knocks the door down to, to make other people follow behind them and again Vince Carter. The example for basketball, a lot of the guys who are now in the NBA, just new guys, all point to Vince Carter. You mentioned soccer. Soccer's an interesting one because, again, there are going to be people who are going to disagree with this. That's totally fine. To me, part of the reason that we have yet to have that breakthrough in soccer, as you say, is because we haven't had, it's it's a circle, we haven't had that breakthrough in soccer. There's a lot of people playing soccer. Yes. But I'm convinced, having been one of them, That there's an awful lot of kids who are playing soccer, not because they love the game, especially at the very young ages, but because it's two hours of babysitting for mom and dad. They don't have to look after their kid and they can wear them out in the summertime. What we need is one of those moments in soccer. We've seen it with the women for sure. Yeah. We've seen it in the Olympics with the women in the World Cup we need a moment where the men's soccer team breaks through and does something or where we we have a great male canadian soccer player go on to premier league or do something we need something to make it really really cool so that it's not just kids playing recreationally and then a few kids that move along but nothing happens it's it's we have it, it it's the pattern in this country and if someone can do it soccer will Go from where it is, and will completely take off. I'm convinced. But of that.
4: soccer is busy. I mean, there are it's a lot. Of, there are a lot of kids playing, and it's certainly because it's not because of athletic, as, athleticism. <laughs> Almost, oh, it came was, close. <laughs> holy crap! Not because we don't have good athletes in Canada, because we have premier hockey players. We now have kids playing in the NBA. We've got some kids playing pro baseball. You know, so I mean, the 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 abilities there. I just with the numbers that are playing, I'm surprised we don't have more premier. But um, the pedestal is empty. Look, like look at we're, we're. If all of our best players went to the world championship in basketball, we would. I mean, we would be great. We're very competitive now. That's not quite the case with soccer yet. No, the pedestal for soccer is empty, meaning. It
0: is available for somebody to come and stand on that pedestal and lead the way. That person has not yet
4: arrived. I think Forge FC will help in Hamilton. It could help. I mean, there's lots of soccer now, but I none of that hurts. So we'll have to see. Now, here we, it's been a long time, been a few years, maybe never, that we've spent this much time talking about uh, tennis. Yep. And uh, if that's what it does, then if it gets us talking about it and... Uh, it'll get more people talking about it more people wanting to play. See, I'm not even convinced. We've got to go to a break in a second. I'm not even convinced that a team winning
0: a title does it. I think you have to have someone yeah. that becomes the poster child for that sport. And well, and if you look at every single... Blue Jays, I don't. it didn't have to be a Canadian, but I think there were players on that Blue Jays team that people really loved back in the days when they were yeah. winning World Series. You wanted to be Robbie Alomar. You wanted to be... Whoever, the team, it, it absolutely helped, but you need to
4: have a couple people or someone. The, the people you pointed out, I mentioned Tiger Woods. Yep. Uh, you you mentioned Vince Par- Carter and yep. you're right. There needs to be somebody that's going to be on the poster hanging in the kids' dressing room. I want to be him. And maybe that happens now with tennis.
0: Well, I mean, you could get a poster of Jeannie Bouchard selling chicken nuggets. <laughs> I'm not sure that anyone's going to be taking up tennis because of Eugenie Bouchard these days, just a, an athlete who spiked, hit her apex in Wimbledon that one year, and then has just sort of fallen off the map and is still a celebrity, but not really, not really as a tennis player. No. As a sports illustrated model, as a, as an, an advertiser, as a celebrity, not
4: as a tennis player. And a, uh, what was her name Uh, Kornikovac. Anna Kornikova. She was probably better looking. She wasn't a tennis player. Yep. And. You know, she played in
0: Hamilton one time.
4: She did a charity
0: event here in Hamilton one time. No. She did at the Hamilton Tennis Club. And they had to work so hard to find someone who she could beat. Because you can't bring her in here. She could have played you. I might have beaten her. That's how, that's how, that's where she was in her. You could have been Bobby Riggs. I. Except the story falls apart of Bobby Riggs beats Billie Jean King. They had to work hard to find a tennis player that Anna Kornikova could beat. Uh, Don, today, the Blue Jays, I don't know if they put him on waivers today, but Freddie Galvis, who was their shortstop until Bo Bichette showed up, so he was your veteran guy who was having a really good year, something like 18 homers and 53 RBI and good defense and all the rest. I mean, he was, a, he was playing well. He was a good player. Today he gets picked up off waivers from Cincinnati, which immediately leads a whole lot of people to say, well, what the heck? The trade deadline was two weeks ago. How come you couldn't trade this guy? For, he's having a great year. Surely some team could use a player like this. You couldn't even get some kind of prospect for this. And once again, the anger is flashing towards Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins who – here's the thing. Last hour, we, I was talking about conspiracy theories. There are people – it's not even a conspiracy theory. There are people, Don, who truly at this point now believe that Shapiro and Atkins are trying to submarine the Blue Jays and sabotage them because they're looking at all the moves they're making. And going, what are you doing? Now, I don't think that's true. But you're at a point now, if you're the if you're the guys running the Blue Jays, you're at a point where you seem to have ostracized your fan base so immensely that people are willing to believe you're intentionally sabotaging your franchise while you're making moves. That, that's not a good place to be if you're running an organization.
4: Well, there's a couple things. I mean, they thought he would be a real veteran presence in the dressing room. Which he was. And a good leader. Gallif- you're to talk you're to listening yeah. to the Scott yeah. Radley and Show podcast on 900CHML gutted the team but you got smoke and you got you need a couple around right and so that was the story that's that's what they were selling at the time and now it looks like the only two people on the planet that really truly understand the rebuild of the Toronto Blue Jays are those two Shapiro and Atkins and they're not doing much of a job to sell it or convince anybody they're on the right track. See, that's the problem. They may be doing—I—I—I
0: I, I don't know. They may be doing the right things to do the rebuild of the Blue Jays, but man, they're
4: terrible at explaining it. They—they are—they don't do it well. And we all—well, we don't all remember because everybody won't remember when the Jays were getting built into their dynasty days, and Pat Gillick was called Stan Pat. And all of a sudden, he started making moves, and he never missed a step. He he was so good at it that even if he made a mistake, he overcome it with the next big move. And uh, but Pat Gillick was never—I never got the sense—and that was
0: I watched all along there. I never got the sense that even though people may have been
4: frustrated with him, I never got the sense Pat Gillick was disliked. Well, I. And, and there's a there's, and there's a bit of a difference between disliking how people deliver the message at at that level in pro sports and believing in them. So they may not have always liked what Pat Gillick was saying, but I think they had a quiet confidence that the right guy had his hand on the tiller and he was going to get us where we wanted to go. Now, and it, he did not have, suffer the dislike that these pair are faced with right now. But you know, there were people going, gee, if, you know, if he'd make a couple moves. But nobody hated him. Nobody distrusted him. They felt, you know, we've got a pretty good core here, but why don't we do it a little quicker and he had the patience to wait and wham, did he ever do the job? I don't think these guys are carrying that confidence with them in the in the stands or certainly in the media. I don't think I've ever seen the media rip a pair of guys like these guys are. And that's it's a it's a bit of a blood sport for some columnists, but they haven't done anything to 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 protect themselves.
0: well, how do you? So so it, it is. It is a blood sport for some columnists who are taking shots at them. But at some point, if you want to turn that narrative around, you come out and talk. You you ex you don't ha, you're never going to convince everybody, but you can at least try and sell the vision. Yeah, but Shapiro talked last week and didn't say anything. No, I know. But you see, they're not selling the vision. There's what they're doing. And this is why I think the problem with them is they are simply saying, believe us, trust us, we got this under control. And maybe they do. Maybe they do. Maybe we're going to find out that next year the Blue Jays suddenly just explode. All the experience the young guys are getting this year is going to turn around and they're going to be great. But at some point, part of your job as an entertainment business is to tell people why you should believe in this team and telling people that we've got 42 years of control is
4: not your biggest selling feature because everybody's saying, that's great, 42 years of control over what? Exactly, exactly. What I are just- you selling here? I mean, they, they've they got a little lucky. Vladdy, it took him a little longer than I expected, but he's proving out to be what a lot of people think. He's going to be a, just a tremendous prospect. Bochette come on the scene, and all of a sudden he's great. But the problem, is, and that's all wonderful, but somebody's going to have to pitch. Yep. But they, haven't got any, they, they don't have any triple-A prospects that are going to come up and mow people down. Maybe they, maybe these guys are smarter than everybody else, but you're right, they don't sell it well. Here's the other part about this that I really
0: am struck by, and I don't remember this happening too often. Maybe with John Ferguson Jr. with the Leafs, maybe with Rob Babcock of the Raptors, the guy who traded Vince Carter. The, I am hearing people talk now that they want the Jays to lose, even though they love the blue Jays and have t- traditionally loved the blue Jays only because they can't abide the thought that Shapiro, Shapiro and Atkins would take credit for being the smartest guys in the room. They hate those guys so much that they want the team to lose just so they don't get credit for something. That's a ba- if you're Rogers, that is a bad place to be in when fans are turning on your franchise because the guys you've got in
4: control, even if they're making the right moves. Well, the other thing that the Rogers, uh, the uh, the owners have that is a challenge for them is they got rid of the beloved uh, um, Paul um, Beeston and uh, Alex Anthopoulos, who's now in Atlanta in first place. Yep. So you get rid of two guys that were beloved, bring in two guys that are saying, trust me, and you're circling the drain. And... You know, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. And you almost talk down to the fans. And the got fans need some coddling. They they've got some yeah. tickets to sell. They they got a lot of tickets to Holy sell. Holy crap! I mean, the the Cardinals percentage wise had more people in the seats than you're seeing at the Rogers Center. And you're now. talking about the Hamilton Cardinals, the not the St. Louis Cardinals. Yes, I am sorry,
0: uh, but no. But I mean, you and look a, a bunch of the things. Remember when Shapiro and Atkins first arrived? With the Anthopolis era, they were already talking about we're gonna put our we're gonna put real grass into the stadium. That quickly died under Shapiro. We're gonna rebuild, we're gonna redo Roger Center. Well, that seems to have somehow taken a back seat again, or that's not really gonna happen. Like it seems like everything the fans want, these guys throw cold water on. And again. They may be the so smart that they are doing this in a way that a year from now we're all going to go, wow! Did not see how they turned that around, but look at them go. That could be the case. But man, it's it's as if they're. Tr- I've said this before. It's as if they're trying to tick off the fan base. It's as if they've come in and they've said, "Well, if that's what they're trying to do." Is we're working very well. It, it's as if they've well, they have made no effort to try to ingratiate themselves to the fans. That's the thing. They've made since the moment they've arrived, they've done nothing to try and. Sell
4: themselves and their vision to the fans. I haven't been to a game in three or four years. And uh, Susan and I will get down to one. We want to go down and watch one because it's kind of fun just to go to the ball game, sure, whether they're winning or losing or whatever they're doing. I love my trip to the old Detroit Tiger Stadium. Um, but but the, the point I'm going to make is the uh, MLSE spend like a few years ago, they spent almost $100 million on, on the uh, arena. And now they're spending another millions of dollars on the arena because they know you've got to be on on the cutting edge of entertainment. And boy, the Sky Dome, although it's called the Rogers Center, is really still the Sky Dome. Like that thing needs a hundred million dollar facelift. And when you you're right when you talk about grass, you talk about this, you talk about that, and you get nothing. I mean, you know, they're replacing the odd plastic seat. And and your baseball team is not l- hitting any of the marks. Well, I mean, you
0: know what? Thanks for bringing up MLS because I think it's a good example. When Brandon Shanahan took over with the, as president of the Leafs, was there any confusion about what the plan was? Yeah, none. We're going to be awful for a bit. We're going to stink. We're going to take it us down, some time, and we're going to bring it back up. And what you saw was exactly that. It's, there's going to be some pain. But very quickly, you could see what the plan was. It was a pretty clear thing what we're doing. We're getting rid of this guy. We're getting rid of this guy. We're bringing these people in. It was. I don't think there's too many people who followed the Leafs who didn't understand what the plan was. When the Raptors lost in the playoffs for the again a couple of years ago and then made the trade last year, agree with them, disagree with them, you could see what the plan was. Yep. You may not have loved the plan, but you could see the plan. The plan with the Jays right now, seems to be just get rid of anything of that's got any link back to the Anthopolis era and then get rid of anything that costs any money. And what really seems to bring this up again today is you've got a guy like Galvis who had to have been worth something at the trade deadline. He had to have been worth something. Don, I'm not talking about a top-tier prospect, but he had to be worth something. It's 18 home runs. You're telling me that in the two weeks since the trade deadline you decided that you don't need him anymore, if that's the case, you're making this up on the fly. And if you're not making this up on the fly, that's the message you're
4: sending that you're making it up on the fly. That's the key. People now go, look at talking about squirreling, somebody had a coffee with them and said, well, Bo, your guy. You know what? You're right. Let's get rid of him. Let's get rid of Gallup's. We don't need him. But now, I haven't haven't followed closely enough, so here's where I easily sound like an airhead. I don't think the interleague trading deadline is gone, is it? So they got rid of that. There's only one. There's only one trade deadline this year. Was oh, there? Yeah, okay. but this was they waivers. used to be able to do that, right? You, would, you trade yeah. to the National League yeah, later. Yeah,
0: no, he was just put him on. He, he was put on waivers, and uh, so he, you know, he just got picked up. But, but I can only
4: assume then they're probably paying most of his salary yes. too, because that's what they. Do. Well,
0: I don't know. No, I don't know. Cincinnati might be, pick- but again. You're Rogers, all right. You're Rogers. You've gotten rid of everybody who's making money. Now you've eaten some of the salary of Tulawitzki. You got rid of them, but you're guys. still paying them. But still, the point is, you're Rogers. You've got a, a salary now, a roster salary of almost nothing. Galvis was not making a fortune. Yeah. If this is about salary, come on. Rogers is one of the biggest companies in the world. Someone did something a while back that showed that, as far as. Deep pockets, Rogers is in the top five, I think it was, for all of Major League Baseball, as far as revenues with the ownership groups and the yep. ownership people. Rogers is not a poor owner. You would think that Toronto and Rogers are a small market operation. It's one of the biggest markets in the entire major league baseball, particularly when you consider that they are, like the Raptors, a countrywide team. Yeah. Canada's team. This is not this is not a team that is, should be operating on a shoestring budget. So if you're getting rid of Freddie Galvis because he's making whatever it was two million bucks or something, and you've got to save a few coins. Jeez Louise. Well, I would think that they're doing it so
4: Bichette can play every day, and they're telling him he can play every day. I, I understand mean, I that. Believe that.
0: I understand that. But you
4: didn't know that two weeks ago. But a mar- it- but a marketing company. Uh, like I'm no marketing genius, you know, like Jamie West, but. When the Jays, what, four years ago were in the playoffs? Two thousand and fifteen and sixteen? Wasn't it seems yep, like yep. it was Seems like a long time it was, ago. It seems like when Freddie Flintstone was running around in his car <laughs> now. But it was not that long long ago. And Rogers uh, telecommunications, like their cell phones and everything else, were dining out on that success. 40,000 40, people in the stadium every night,
0: maybe more over a million viewers every night on TV, advertising revenues to go with that. If you've got 40,000 people in the stadium, how many beers are you selling and hot dogs and everything like you cannot tell me right now that they are not losing money. Relatively speaking, they may be saving money on salaries, but they've lost an awful lot of
4: revenue. But I talked about it earlier when we talked about, uh, well, we talked about the Hamilton Cardinals and said, you should go because we live in such an instantaneous world now. Do you know how many millennials have been going, I'm getting rid of my Rogers cell package? They get mad. I don't know. People can get even in a hurry. You have to watch their feet, and now their feet are all leaving the Rogers Center. It cannot be good for the overall
0: business plan. I don't know if they're going to get rid of the Rogers cell plan, but I'll say this. If you create a situation where the guys behind the organization, the faces of the organization are so disliked that people are saying, Screw it! I'm not having anything to do with those guys. That's a problem because then even if the th- if the team turns around, it's a slow willingness to jump back on the bandwagon. You want to have people in there, so as soon as it starts to go well, they are like, "Man, I am back. This is great." Not
4: well, they did come back in 15 and 60. They did, but they, they had they no, were.
0: but they had no beef against the Jays at that time, except for the fact they'd been bad for a while. They didn't hate yeah. Alex Anthopoulos. They didn't hate Paul Beeston. They
4: didn't hate John Gibbons. And here's and here's the bad part. I think Rogers. Well, you, you know, they want to win, right? I think, I think so. Like they've hired these guys. Do they want to win more than they want to make money? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I think I think as an overall package on Sportsnet and everything else, it's worth so, well, it's hand in hand, right? You're talking 45,000 people having hot dogs and drinking beer. It goes hand in hand, but they're a very proud family and they want to be attached to things that are winning. It just happens to be really good for business. Now they've they've picked these two, and obviously still believe in the fact that they can do well. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention two guys that you you Rob Babcock and uh, uh, John Ferguson. The leash those guys had was real short. They weren't given five or six or ten years to turn no. that boat around. Boom! This doesn't work, and see you later.
1: The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 CHML.